0: Welcome to PI's Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler.
1: Good
2: morning. I hope everybody that is listening as well this morning, we're going to be talking about process serving. Catch me if you can. Nobody ever wants to receive legal papers. It doesn't matter whether it's a civil suit, a divorce, a garnishment or a subpoena to testify in a trial or deposition. Legal papers mean trouble. So it really takes a special kind of person to execute the process of getting that critical legal document to the person that it's intended for. It's a specialty that requires bravado, tenacity, determination, and confidence all rolled into one. Wendy Bignall, a private investigator and a registered process server, is one of those people who knows how to overcome obstacles. So Wendy's been operating her process-serving business called Due Process for 26 years. She founded Bignall Investigation Group in 2006, and she specializes not only in process-serving but in locating witnesses, skip tracing, and surveillance. She teaches the art and skill of process-serving, and it is an art as well as a skill, a process-serving with the primary focus on people who are the most difficult and elusive people to serve. She's served thousands of papers successfully, and besides that, Wendy logs an average of 1,500 hours each year of surveillance on behalf of her clients. Wendy likes to say the impossible has now become the normal, so I guess she uh, really gets involved in some pretty weird situations. Hi, Wendy. How are you?
3: Hi, Francie. Good morning. I'm great. Thanks. So, Wendy, um, how in the world did
2: you start out doing process serving? Because I know you're not an old person, so uh, (laughs) you must have been pretty young when you started.
3: Oh, that's a good question. I was uh, working as a legal secretary for an attorney, and they had a couple of subpoenas that needed to be served at PG&E. Standard, custodian of records, public entity. So on my lunch break, I took my motorcycle down to (laughs) the the PG&E headquarters and served these subpoenas. Well, I made more in that one-hour lunch break than I made for the whole day. And at that okay. time I think I was charging 10 dollars a paper. <laughs> right, right.
2: So how long ago, this this was how long ago?
3: Well, let's see. That was before due process started, but that was the first document I served that would've been in 1984. Wow. Okay. So then how where did that lead you? Um it just gave me the uh view that this was one of these areas that was had some mystery with it and um, throughout the remainder of my career as a legal secretary, I um, just kind of observed how different companies operated and how um, I guess the thing that really caught my attention was those invoices that came in.
0: <laughs> the and ones I with thought,
3: lots of money on them? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm in the wrong business here. Uh, I'm not saying it was lucrative and without blood, sweat, and tears, but uh, it was definitely a little bit Uh, intriguing to see that these companies could provide a service that I thought was about half of what I could provide.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: And Mm -hmm. uh, then as time went on and careers changed, I decided to uh, begin starting a business with attorney services, process serving, court filings, and all of that.
2: Interesting. So uh, you probably were able to see not only how to do it, but what not to do as well, right?
3: You know, what not to do really came from the field, Uh and and that's really the only place that you can learn what to do and what not to do. I I teach it, and I try my best to impart some basic information, statutes, things like that, but when you're out in the field is really when you're in school.
2: Well, I suspect that some people listening might be surprised that a woman is a process server, Um, but I bet that's an advantage to you, isn't it?
3: Well, I I absolutely agree. I think that uh it's e- much easier and sorry guys, but it's one one area where we have the 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 upper hand.
2: Yeah. And then you decided to become a private investigator as well?
3: I um in in uh in the later part of due process uh, before I got my PI license, Fax and File came into the scene and there were no more court filings for me to do. Uh, that was more than half of my business, and one of the things that I would do in the earlier years is I would call a PI and ask him for a witness locate, because at that time I did not know, and it may not have been available for me to use some of the same databases that private investigators can use for the purpose of locating people mm-hmm. to serve sort of process.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and so, at the point where the court filing work diminished, I looked into what it took to become a PI. Little did I know. Um, but I <laughs> went down that path, and uh, it took I took the scenic route. It took me five years because um, I operated a business as well as getting my hours qualified. Well, um, I certainly
2: remember when you were thinking about it.
3: Yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, it was it was really a great experience because the um, school that I went to, a lot of the instructors like yourself, they were investigators who really, it seems that investigators did not want to do process serving or surveillance. Mm-hmm. And so I got a lot of that work, uh, and by the time I was done with the class, I had paid my tuition. So thanks.
2: Well, you're <laughs> very welcome. <laughs> it, was, it was fun watching you go through the process. So um, explain the court filings a little bit, because some people may not be a, uh, understand what that's all about.
3: Uh, yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. The, the court filing used to be handled primarily by a courier who would take the documents to the county clerk's office um, and get stand in the line and get their documents filed, and then return a file endorsed copy okay uh, now there's a company or there are a few companies, but now it 's commonly done by fax um, and
2: there went your business.
3: Yeah, pretty much I mean i I uh, definitely had a dip in business. There are still some times where I see uh, a need to do a filing or maybe a proof of service or something like that, but but, but not the not the common thing
1: Okay,
2: all right. Okay, so um, so let's talk about process serving because this is this is an area that I think um, many people have misunderstandings about um, under, misunderstandings about whether they can refuse a subpoena or not, whether they have to sign a, sign for a subpoena. There's all kinds of questions about uh, process serving, but but there's and there's some myths too. What are the myths?
3: Okay. The myths are, um, if I don't touch it, I'm not served. That's Mm -hmm. my favorite. Uh, Yeah. And my response when I get to somebody like that, I've usually gone through the the first initial steps, which which always start on my end with complete and total neutral respect, cooperation. They're going to take it. They're so happy that I came to serve them. <laughs> um, All right. But when they do the shenanigans of well, and they put their hands up like they're being arrested. If I don't touch it, I'm not gonna. I'm not served. Then I just drop it at their feet, and you know, I say, okay, well then you'll just have to pick it up. Um, yeah, you
2: know. And now we're we're talking about California. So yes. in California, that's a that is a good service. Now we yes. don't know about the rest of the country. Um, is that true with the rest of the country as well?
3: It is generally true. There, I don't. I'm not aware of any uh, state that requires you to get a signature. Mm-hmm. Uh, that may have been back in in a day a long time ago, but in decades, I mean, who's really going to sign if they don't want to receive the document? Is who's going to sign it? Uh, I th- I think the courts give a benefit of the doubt to the process server because that is the process server's occupation. Usually, they're res- registered, bonded. There's a financial consideration. And I think that in time, over time, that the courts have recognized that getting a signature is really um, burdensome, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if not impossible.
2: Well, it's really interesting to me that a process server can actually carry a badge that looks a lot like a, a police badge, where a, pro- where a private investigator, at least in California, cannot.
3: That's so true. So that gives you some additional
2: um, influence, I suspect.
3: Yeah, um, I've I've had a badge for years, um, and I have to really be careful when I have that badge on my folder when I'm doing surveillance work so that it's not visible um, because there is that uh, separation. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly.
3: I, I consider it a very useful prop. Um, I carry my documents. I'm, I'm not a process server that puts them in my back pocket and sneaks up on people. I mean, if the situation calls for that, sure, but in general, 95% of them are not like that mm mm-hmm. um, Very straightforward. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. And
3: I've even taken to calling the person and asking them if they would like to meet me in the lobby or something like that in the, in the context of pr- protecting their privacy, you know, giving them that, that measure of respect. It goes far.
2: Yeah. Um, and so, uh, Wendy, what kind of people can do serve process? Do you have to be registered or licensed as a process server? Tell me about that situation? Um, Well,
3: the statutes dictate that anybody over 18 can serve most documents, as long as you're uninvolved and neutral.
1: Mm
3: -hmm. Um, And as a private investigator, I've often thought this about how you're really not uninvolved. If you're doing an investigation for a witness, and then you give them a subpoena, you're not uninvolved. But I haven't really gotten an answer on that um, on my own, and I haven't really researched it out too deeply. But Anybody who's over 18 can serve documents as long as they don't serve more than a certain amount in a year. And this is in California, so let's make that Uh clear. Right, right. In other states, other jurisdictions. Um, If you want to serve all papers, including orders of examination, bank levy documents, or judgment enforcement documents, you are required then to be registered and bonded as a
2: processer. Yeah. I usually say all financial documents. Does that yeah. cover it? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so and then, back, to, back to private investigators. Private investigators in California are exempt according to the Business and Professions Code. And just addressing what you said about the uh, uh, private investigators serving a subpoena on, their, on a case they're working on, I think the key is that they're not a party to the action. Right. Okay. Thank you. Um, I mean, that's my take, my my unofficial legal opinion.
3: <laughs> well, it, you know. it has never come up, and I have never seen a conflict from an, a private investigator yeah. serving a document. So, I, I'm not um, I'm not suggesting that it's a problem. Um, I right. know that a lot of private investigators have taken the measure of getting registered because it's not that difficult mm-hmm. to do, and also. If you're going to do an asset search or you're going to do the investigation work behind locating a person, you know, and you, you want to serve them, why would you, be, why would you want to be prevented and if you are serving them, for example, an order of examination, which lists their assets and whatnot? Um, why don't app- you say what,
2: tell, tell what an order of examination is?
3: An um, order of examination, I think it also might be called an application and order for examination of assets. Uh, is a okay. is a um, document that requires the person, usually the debtor, to appear before the court and and uh, address and and, and, and uh, what's the word uh, reveal their assets, their bank accounts, their boats, their So this, their boat, so their this could be
2: say in a um, a civil suit where there's a judgment. Yes. Or it could be? Could it be also a, a divorce situation yes. where there's uh, contested custody?
3: Uh, I've never seen one, honestly, in a divorce situation. Um, I've only seen them in uh, civil judgment uh, cases. Uh, the divorce process is usually handled by uh, discovery for tax re- returns and uh, that that kind of discovery process. Not, not, I've not seen an order of examination in a divorce case. Oh, okay. Okay. That's not to say they okay. don't exist. I just haven't seen them.
2: Right. Okay. And, and so how do you go about getting... So a process server is registered as opposed to being licensed.
3: That's right. We're registered and bonded. Uh, we, 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 we take a $2,000 bond in California, a $2,000 bond, which is good for two years, and uh, you register, again, every two years. And it's pretty much the same process as getting your PI license. You have to be fingerprinted. Department of Justice uh, does a, a background to make sure you're not a felon. Um, and you register in the county with where you live. Mm-hmm. And then your your uh, registration and your ability to serve extends through the entire state.
2: Okay. So, so. even though you only registered in one county you can serve or do your work any place in the state.
3: Correct. And then when you go outside of the state, you have to connect with a process server in the other state or the other country.
2: Okay. Let's, let's take a quick break, Wendy. That was okay. private investigator from California and process server Wendy Bignall. We'll be right back. <laughs>
0: NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com
2: Now, I'm, I'm blowing your name, Wendy. Wendy Bignall. Uh, she's a private investigator and process server. And you were just talking about uh, the, the requirements. So, you're, you're registered in your state or in your county, and you can serve process throughout the state. You, you have a $2,000 bond. Yes. Um, you, um, do you have to have continuing education?
3: Uh, it's, not requ- it's not a requirement. Um, there's no test that's required, but those of us who have been in the field for any length of time generally take advantage of whatever um, seminars that are available, and we try to keep current and um, uh, up-to-date on all the different rules. Uh, the courts are changing rules, not not generally around process serving necessarily, but just within the court systems.
2: Mm-hmm. And what... Uh, what else is necessary? Do you need any special equipment?
3: Um, well, you need the basic equipment like cell phone and um, I I would say some kind of credentials that show that you're a process server. The county will register you an ID card with your picture on it that says process server on it.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and I use that in connection with my badge um, for serving process. Um and the the situation with the badges—they're not issued to you. You you actually buy them. On you have your to own. buy them, right? Yeah. And yeah. I've heard in my classes people say, "Oh, yeah, I can get that on the internet for ten bucks." But um, I went ahead and got one from years and years ago from one of the companies that make law enforcement badges. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I pretty much designed it myself because they weren't really doing it on a regular basis. And like I said, they're not issued. So I just put mine with the state of California because our license or registration, is in conjunction with the state of California. We're, we're kind of considered uh, in the same category. We have the same category as peace officers. I see. And we have the same protections as peace officers as far as battery. It's a felony battery to assault a process server. While it's yeah, let's protection. talk
2: about that a little okay. bit because sure, sure. Uh, uh, people do get very angry sometimes, don't they? They sure do. And have you had some experience with that?
3: Uh, I have had some experience with that. Um, I've recently had, um, after all the years that I've done it, I recently had an experience where uh, I was serving some documents, a workplace harassment case, and uh, the subject uh, came at me and got in my face, and I was at the top of a third-floor stairwell and uh, he was looking like he was going to try to push me down, and it's kind of like confronting a bear. You know, you don't want to turn your back, and you don't (laughs) want to run. But you also don't want to get hurt. Um, Right. um, In in those situations, sometimes you can detect when you're entering the situation that you might need to prepare for that. This was not one of those situations. This was a benign uh, service of process. I thought it would just go smoothly, no problem. Mm-hmm.
2: And how did it, and it just immediately fell apart?
3: Um, no, it didn't fall apart immediately. The uh, the service was declared difficult from right away, which was a surprise to me. I wasn't expecting that. And uh, there was a manager of the apartment complex got involved in favor of the tenant that I was trying to serve, and uh, there's there's a fine line about the trespassing, harassment, and uh, uh, what is it called when you write on a wall? Vandalism. Okay. In process serving that I try to teach in my class. If you're in a public area, you're not considered to be trespassing. I rarely, rarely, if not ever, will go into somebody's actual home Hmm. Um I will go into an apartment complex, even if it has a secure uh intercom system if another tenant will let me in. I'm the time of process server where if I want to have access to a building, I will be forthcoming about my purpose to the other tenant. I'm not going to play a game
1: mm-hmm.
3: Uh I find you it just, just tell
2: them outright that you have a subpoena for their neighbor.
3: I say, I'm a process server, I have legal documents for your neighbor, and I, I need to get, come in the building. Would you be willing to allow me to come in? I'll be leaving right afterward.
2: Okay. Um, and that's pretty successful for you?
3: Yes, it is. Um, for the most part, it is. Sometimes it's a flat-out no, and then you are either left with try somebody else or just wait for somebody to come out. But it's easier to let, have somebody let you come in, and it's less questioned.
2: And do you um, always plan for a safe exit?
3: That is the first thing that I teach, that I do, and it's a cardinal rule. When you go into a situation where you're serving legal documents, before you are out of your car, your exit should be planned. Okay. And it it, it has become second nature to me, but as private investigators, I think sometimes there's um, a lack of that, and some of the stories that I have heard from the investigators have... um, you know, been very aggressive. And um, uh, it's just, I, I, I'm in disbelief that, that it happens, but it does.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But I but I think, you know, you were saying uh, be respectful. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I mean think that carries you a long way. Um, and you're obviously neutral. You have no axe to grind in what you're serving to
3: this person. That's right. And I also play Columbo any opportunity I need to. I don't know what this is. I don't know what it's about. Uh, uh, I can read through the document with you if you want. Um, Let's see. It's um, Well, here at the bottom it says it's a civil subpoena. Uh I can go that route. I I do try to have empathy with with the person, um, wish them good luck, things like that. You you never know when you're going to go back two or three times to the same Uh witness. Court dates change. Additional information is needed. You you just never know. Um,
2: Does it... And it becomes increasingly harder to have them open the door for you when you're there for the third time?
3: Well, that depends. That depends on how you approach it from the very beginning. That's why I'm saying if you go in with the beginning as a respectful and cooperative, then they... By the third time, I've had people say, oh, I remember you. It's you again. I'm, yeah. You know, yeah, the kid needs you, so here I am. Right.
2: So... So let's talk about the kinds of documents there are. Okay. So you have, what, summons and complaint.
3: Summons and complaints are really the easiest document because there's absolutely no way that you can avoid being served. You can evade, and let's talk about the difference. Evading is where you try to make it impossible for the server to personally serve you. But you mm-hmm. cannot avoid being served with a summons and complaint because you can be served personally. Summons and complaint, you can be served substituted service, summons and complaint. You can be served by publication, you know, those those newspapers that have in the back legal notices. Right. Um, There's a process that you can use that if the person um, isn't available to accept personal service. And then even with business entities, if you do your diligence, you can serve them through the Secretary of State if they're incorporated.
2: Interesting. Interesting. And this? so some so just to be clear, summons and complaint would be uh, there's a lawsuit been filed, that's the complaint, yeah. and the summons is the document that tells you when to appear or what to do next.
3: Well, the, the way I describe it or define it is the summons says you have been sued, and the complaint says mm-hmm. why. Okay, that's good. Yeah, that's great. and the subpoena or any document that requires you to go to a court hearing or to show up to um, anything that reveal your assets or anything like that, those must be served personally. Mm -hmm. Um, The exception to that, and this is a case-by-case basis, are doctors and dentists. A lot of times they will authorize their front desk to accept these documents, the Mm -hmm. subpoenas, but not always. If a dentist doesn't want to accept and they want to make it difficult they can by saying, well, I don't authorize anybody to serve it on my behalf, I mean to accept it on my behalf, and then you have to use other methods, locating their home address, that kind of thing.
2: Recently, we were involved in a situation uh, with a county entity and who was um, not wanting to accept service, and and we had to go to county council to get it done, and ultimately to the Board of Supervisors.
3: Yeah. um, In San Francisco, which is where I'm primarily located, the mayor's office accepts summons and complaints. Um, In some counties, the um, city attorney will accept them. And in some smaller townships, the city manager will accept them. So, you know, there again, that's where you go in the mindset that whatever they say is fine with me. I mean, I'm going to bill this to my client, and, you know, I want to make it as economical to them as I possibly can. But if I have to go an extra step to get it done without any conflict, then I'll do that. Because in the long run, what you do initially will set the tone for, can set the tone for the, for the rest of the case.
1: Okay.
2: All right. We need to take another break, Wendy. Right. That's the voice of process server and private investigator, Wendy Bignell. We'll be right back.
0: NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to PIs Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to F R A N C I E at PIs Declassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler.
2: You're listening to Wendy Bignall talking about process serving. Wendy, we were just talking about. Um the kinds of documents that you have to serve. What about levies and garnishments? Do they have to be, who do they go to?
3: Yeah, uh, levies and garnishments are one of the most complex uh, service or process situations. Um, And a lot of times the attorneys uh, will do the preparation of the documents correctly, but a lot of times they won't. Um, They're just not familiar with it or versed with it. But it does require going to the area, uh, to the sheriff's department, opening a sheriff's file. The sheriff used to do these serves, but their budget constraints don't allow it, and they don't do it as uh, quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you're, you have to go to the sheriff's office. You open a sheriff's file. They give it a sheriff's number, and then you, you do the service of process part. You fill out your paperwork, including the mailing, and then you go back to the sheriff's department, and you close the, sh- the file that was opened. And the, the that has to be done within, in some counties, a three- to five-day period. And that includes hmm. Saturdays, Sundays, holidays, government shutdown days, etc. <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah. And so that makes it a little bit burdensome, but you have to stay on top of that. That's the requirement. And they're not bending at the, on that usually at all. Um, so and then, if it gets pardon?
2: somehow fouled up, then you have to start the process all over again?
3: That's right. And, um, you know, that, that can cause a problem with your client as well. Um, and then perhaps there's a bank account that you know has money in it on the 15th, but it doesn't have it in there on the 16th. Right. Okay, and so then after you, serve, after you open the sheriff's file and you go and serve the document, generally I'm thinking that it would be a bank as an example. Uh, and if the bank immediately when they receive these Documents they put the they freeze the account, and then there's the process, and I'm not that familiar with that process. that's a legal process that goes where they have a certain time period to contest it or um, file for any exemptions that they may have, those kinds of things um, but that all gets worked out after the process is done,
1: okay,
2: and so that would be for levies for levies would be banks garnishments would be for employee wages?
3: Yeah, garnishments are a little easier, Uh, they are generally served on the HR department or the business owner of a business Um, and then they do their process where they also have some time frame but you're done with it at that point, you just serve them and that, that does not require opening a sheriff's file.
2: And what kinds of service do you do most?
3: Uh, I work a lot with complex litigation um, construction uh, buildings uh, where maybe somebody 's a developer has built five hundred homes and they all have faulty roofs
1: uh-huh.
3: and so every contractor gets sued and every subcontractor gets sued and then five years later they 're still in litigation um, and those, that's the primary crux of my process-serving business. Um, and then also I do a lot of divorce, uh, general, the, the initial divorce papers as well as um, motions, um, order, orders to show cause, cu- custody issues, child support issues, things like that. Mm-hmm.
2: And on the construction and the complex civil litigation, you would be serving... Uh, summons and complaints, and then you might be serving um, per subpoenas for to appear at a deposition.
3: or yes. for or yes. for court for trial. Yes, all of the above. And, okay. and with those, what happens is I I will get anywhere from maybe thirty to sixty defendants to serve. Hmm. And so Amazing. I go out. Yeah, I go out for you know an extended period of time on those.
2: <laughs> and do you go out? Do you go all over the state?
3: I do. Um, I have a, I have quite an extensive network, uh, statewide, nationwide, internationally, um, and uh, we can touch on the international part now. It, if you are, if the country is a member of the Hague Convention Treaty, mm-hmm. they can be served through that protocol. If they are not a member, if the person who you're trying to serve resides in a country that is not a member of the Hague. Uh, treaty, then you have to go through the consulate or the embassy. Um, I've done that a couple of times, um, but uh, I've done the international service as well. And uh, generally what I'll do is I'll just contact and contract with a, a process serving or attorney service company in that country. I see.
2: I see. And and when you go through the consulate, then what happens?
3: Uh, that's a very interesting question. I've done... My, my most uh, vivid memory of a consulate, serve was going to the consulate in San Francisco. I don't remember the country, but they were not a member of the Hague Treaty. And uh, giving them legal documents, and they requested $50. So I popped out with my checkbook and was ready to write the $50, and the gentleman behind the counter said, no, $50 in cash. Mm-hmm. Now okay. I I paid it. I went and got fifty dollars in cash and just didn't question it because I wanted my papers to be accepted. But I thought that was odd, and there's nothing that I could ever find in any statute that said um, this is what was required. And I didn't. I asked for, it but was not provided a receipt. So, you know, you can leave that to your imagination. But those situations sometimes happen, and like I said, I just go with the program and get it done, and. uh we can address that issue at another time if we need to.
2: Interesting. So there is a lot of suspicion surrounding what happened to that $50.
3: Oh, yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure I know what happened to that $50, (laughs) but uh, it was just, you know, a lot of countries do business in different ways than we do. And, um, you know, to try to make your point, well, you can't do that or anything like that is really futile. Counterproductive. Um, Exactly, Yeah. yeah. Um, And then from there, what they're supposed to do is send it to their home country area and wherever their citizen is living, and then they have their own process, which I don't know, to effect service in that way.
2: Okay. And what about the uh, out-of-state subpoenas? You do those, too?
3: With those, they're easier because I just contact a different state um, attorney service. And network okay. with them, yeah. Now, there are some states that have blue laws where you can't serve documents on Sundays. Um, there are some states, a couple of states, uh, that only a marshal can serve the documents. You don't have private process serving companies serving documents. Yeah. And so when you do your effort to locate an, a, a counterpart in another state, you'll find out those things. They'll say, well, only, only the marshals in our state serve. So then you contact the marshal's office in the jurisdiction where the defendant or the witness lives. I see.
2: And there's a a process that a state has to go through to get their subpoena served in another state as well. Um, Have you ever been involved in that kind of a process?
3: Yeah, I have where it's been incoming from another state coming into California. um, And where they open a file, they, they basically have to file a complaint in California that matches their complaint, let's say, like in Arkansas, for example. Mm-hmm. And then they issue subpoenas off of their case number that's been provided in California. I see.
2: How about uh, personal service? Have you ever had one that came in from another state to serve here in um, California?
3: No, I haven't. Um, I, can't, I can't recall one that I've had to have uh, personal service Okay, Yeah.
2: And, and what about restraining orders? Do you ever have to serve restraining orders? Um, you,
3: you know, I started out my business serving nothing but restraining orders. I really, uh, I, I, Women Inc., which was a restraining order clinic for uh, spousal abuse, mm-hmm. was my very first client, and uh, all of them had addresses that were something like, he parks his car underneath Division in Bryant <laughs> between 1 a.m. and 3 a.m. on Tuesdays. Yeah. And those were uh, when I was young and dumb. I don't know if that's the right word, but definitely not as experienced. And I would go and do them and uh, knock on the car window and ask the person if they were so and so and say, I have these core documents for you. Um, I think that they are probably one of the more complicated and um, volatile serves.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, that's definitely a safety issue.
3: Absolutely. And whenever I get restraining orders, I will pay a special effort to them, uh, a special attention to them, and make a special effort to at least run to make sure that they don't have weapons uh, through a database or uh, that they don't have other restraining orders or criminal assault record. And I just do that for my own uh, peace of mind.
2: So you just absorb that cost?
3: I do, um, and that's you know you can call that protection cost. I mean, I I will I will sometimes I will charge by the job and sometimes I will charge by the hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it depends on the circumstances and the client.
2: And you probably don't do small claims uh, cases very often. But uh, what do, what do you do with those?
3: Yeah, um, I don't do them often, but I do have a couple of clients that are retailers that I will do theirs. Um, Those are really easy. That You don't have to do any diligence. You can serve anybody over 18 at the place of either the workplace or the residence, and they're just straightforward. They have the court date when you're supposed to go to court, which the summons and complaint doesn't have that. Um, So those are really simple. My my hesitance to take those cases are that most of the people that are filing small claims need a lot of Mm hand-holding and extra attention. Um, and uh, they're confused, they don't understand the process, and they, they, they put you in a position sometimes of bordering on giving you legal advice, which I absolutely am clear that I'm not in a position to do. For sure. Yeah. For sure.
2: And what about gated communities? Um, sometimes those are very difficult. What do you do with those?
3: Um, well, gated communities are um, accessible with, if you're a registered process server. There's a, a code section that allows you to enter, and um, if they refuse entry, then you can leave it with the attendant at the front gate, assuming that there is one. Uh-huh. There are gated communities that don't have um, that don't have an attendant, security guard, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. In that situation, if the gate is open, I just drive onto the property. If the gate's not open, I I will generally follow somebody in, who is coming out, or one of those kind of methods. It's one of those gray areas where it's not really considered to be trespassing, um, and I will go. If you're a process server and you are there in the in the in the, with the purpose of serving papers, the sheriff can come out and, and question you, or or the police can come out and question you, but they can't ask you to leave. I see. Yeah, you're you're. Authorized and perfectly within your right to be there for that purpose. Now, that's the difference between surveillance and stakeouts. I'm there for a stakeout. I'm not hiding. I'm not trying to watch what the person does. I'm there to serve papers. Period. Right. Right. Yeah. And sometimes I'll be very, sometimes I'll be very discreet about that, and sometimes I'll be very bold that this is, you know, every neighbor knows that that's why I'm there.
2: Okay, we need to take another break, Wendy. Okay. Um, More to come with California PI and process server, Whitney Bignell. News.
0: News, News, Opinion. Hear me. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at one 472 5788 That's one 472 5788 You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler.
2: I'm back with today's guest, Wendy Bicknell, and um uh... Gosh, this is so interesting Wendy, you must have to just be really creative, always thinking out of the box to figure out exactly how you're going to approach this person to get their job done. And does a that blast. mean you have to be an,
3: I'm sorry, what? It's a blast. I love it personally.
2: Yeah, you have to be an actor probably. Definitely. Do you wear disguises?
3: Not generally. I get a lot of clients who will say, oh, yeah, you know, dress up like a gorilla and (laughs) da-da-da-da-da, but I don't generally do that. I will wear the attire of the event. Um, I've served a couple of rap people, rap stars, at their place of entertainment. So, you know, I'll wear my baggy pants and a ball cap and, you know, the attire. If I'm out on a construction site, I'm not going to go in, you know, uh, tennis shoes or Um, you know, tank top. Um, Right. Yeah. Uh, If I'm serving an executive at a conference, I'm not going to wear, you know, tattered blue jeans and uh, my high tops. Right. You wear a professional attire. Right.
2: And you were talking about serving a rapper at the San Jose Arena at one point. Tell us about that.
3: Okay. That was the greatest, and this is where you just have to really question whether or not you have some guides and angels on your side. Okay. Uh, I went to the arena where, in the afternoon, where this performer was going to be performing with seven other bands, and it was after the incident where Snoop Dogg had caused um, a riot at a concert where he didn't show up to. So security was really tight. I checked in with all of the local PD there to ask if I could get an assist, which, by the way, you can ask. If you feel like you're in any danger, you can ask for a police assist, whether they have the... The human resource power to provide it is you know questionable, but i asked uh, I got the run around they couldn 't they had their own task, which was fine. I noticed at that time that they were all wearing vests and ball caps, so I rummaged around in my car and got my ball cap and my vest, and I was able to uh, get the name of the sergeant who was in charge and I ran into him as he was entering the arena and As I was running after him, calling out his name, one of the guard, one of the door people asked me if I was with them, and I flashed my badge, and they said they just opened the door and let me in. Well, the guy disappeared. I mean, just (laughs) vanished. I mean, he was there, and then he just vanished. So I was in the building. Uh, I was in the building. So I ducked into the bathroom, collected myself. and uh, I went out, and the security people for the arena thought I was with, that, with the police, and the police with the, thought I was with the security people. And it wasn't really my job to clarify that for them. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Uh,
3: but I did have to develop a strategy because it was going to be quite a while before the, my performer was going to be there. And so I listened through in an empty arena. You know, you just open a door. The worst thing that can happen is you can get kicked out. So I just opened the door, and there was the arena. It was empty. Pink was doing a sound check. Okay, so I sat down. I know I don't have a ticket, so when the the arena fills up, it's going to be harder for me to move around. I checked out the backstage areas, you know, the exits and the entrances to see how that worked. Um, I positioned myself in an area where I would have access to that at some point, hopefully, and then as the concert hall filled up and people start, started performing, the guy that I was serving was the last band, or the, the one before the last band. <laughs> of course. Of course, <laughs> yeah. And so at some point, I watched a group of people come out of the backstage area, and I, I, I just thought, that's the group I'm going to follow back in. So when they went back in, they um, asked for my credentials or whatever. I showed them my badge, and they, were, they didn't question it. And I went in. Well, when I got in there, it was like an octagon-shaped room with a bunch of doors. And it was dressing rooms. Oh, no. (laughs) And none of them had their name on them or anything. So I was like, okay. So I picked one, and it was the one that went right into behind the stage where the big Marshall stacks are. And all along the way, I'm telling them why I'm there. I'm here to serve some legal documents on one of the artists. Um, You know, I I wasn't hiding. I wasn't pretending that I was doing anything else other than why I was there because I don't want to get caught on that. Right. And um, I got the green light to go through. I sat or stood um, (laughs) for four hours with uh, Marshall Amps blasting rap music through me. Totally turned me into a convert to rap music. Love it now. (laughs) Uh, had an opportunity to stand next to m c Hammer for a while and some of the other artists, but i couldn 't talk to them, which was disappointing i didn 't want to blow my cover yeah um, yeah i had I wanted to wait until after my artist did his performance because i didn't want to be causing a riot or be the object <laughs> of a riot <laughs> and then after he was done performing, he went and threw himself into the audience, which I thought. All this effort, and I've lost my chance. Well, <laughs> his bandmates ran after him and pulled the grips of the female fans off of his arms and freed him up. And then he ran past me, and I'm chasing him, chasing him, and going, calling out his name. And he turns around and he stops. And at that time, another woman came up to him and asked him for his autograph. This is all backstage. So oh very goodness. maternally, I'm like, I have these legal documents for you. They're concerning your family, blah, 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 blah. Put them in a safe place and look at them later, like when you're sober. And, uh, <laughs> and then uh, it occurred to me she had just asked him for his autograph. So I said, hey, can I have your autograph? So I turned the picture that I had of him around, and he signed the back oh, of it. Funny. So that was fantastic. Now, on my way out... The one security guard who had let me into that area said, oh, there you are. I've been looking for you. I'm thinking, no, you haven't. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Her manager came over and said, whatever. And I was like, well, I was here to do this. I'm done. I'm on my way out. And they said, oh, okay. Well, it didn't occur to me when I got out of the area that I had parked in an empty parking lot. Oh, no. At the arena, which is a circular building. So again, I picked a door to go through to exit. It was pouring, pouring rain. My car was right there. Oh uh, no! Now, wow. how, what are the odds? Okay.
2: What are the odds? Yeah.
3: What an experience! Yeah. So that was my favorite, my favorite story.
2: And then you had you were saying before 9 you were when you were able to go to the gate at the airport. You could serve he served a rapper one time too
3: I did, and uh, you know the entourage of bodyguards came out first, and then, as I approached, it was kind of like um, uh, what are you doing, and this is the advantage of being a female. Sorry, guys, right but, you know I was less threatening or whatever, and I was able to say i've got some legal documents and mm-hmm. he he summoned his Down, called him, told him to stand down, and I was able to serve him. I've also served at the airport once um, after 9/11, where I actually had to go and buy an airplane ticket to uh, for the cheapest flight I could find in the same terminal, um, a refundable one. And then um, I served my person, and then afterward, I went to the to the ticket gate and said that I had been uh, dispatched to go and do something and that I had been called off of it and that way I could could get my money back on my ticket. Wow. So you have to be creative. You have to be able to be in the moment. I call it plan A, plan B, plan C. Yeah, Um, for sure. Yeah, and you have to follow through um, without... If you hear a no, it doesn't mean no, you can't do it. It just means no, you can't do it this way.
2: Right. And then then, uh, what we haven't talked about is you often, when you run into these situations where you have to explain what you did, you have to uh, prepare a declaration for the attorney or whoever you're serving it for. Um, And you also always have to um, prepare your proof of service showing that it was served at a given time, at a given place, and who you served.
3: Right. The proof of service Uh, is the... um, That's like the receipt. That's it. And my proofs of service are very plain and simple, I use the court forms, I don't elaborate, there's really no need to elaborate, the attorney will sometimes want you to elaborate in a declaration to attach to the proof of service, I really discourage that, um, I just, I don't want to give them any more information to, to question or, or, or uh, invalidate a service or anything like that, if I served them on March 3rd at 3.30pm, that's, that that's all that's needed. Okay. Um, they don't need All the right, story. All right, Wendy,
2: we're, we're at the end of our hour. I know okay. that will surprise you, but uh, <laughs> well, we're at the end of the hour. And um, I just want to say, if you're interested in advertising on PIs Declassified, you can contact my wonderful producer of this show, Sondra Rogers, at Sandra, S-A-N-D-R-A, dot Rogers, R-O-G-E-R-S, at voiceamerica.com. So the guests for the upcoming weeks will be Dr. Dorothy McCoy, Anger, It's a Choice, Mark Mernon, Investigating Sexual Assault Cases, and Robin, um, and I just lost her last name. She's going to shoot me uh, (laughs) on keeping your children safe. And uh, tune in again next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators. It's P.I.'s Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Wendy, thanks so much for joining the show.
3: Thank you. And thank you.
0: NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified.